Have you ever had random access memories? Well, today you might. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And this week we will be discussing Daft Punk's 2013 album, Random Access Memories, as of now, sadly, their final album because they broke up last year. So, well, I mean, it's kind of tough when one of you self-destructs and explodes. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that, but they made a video for their for their breakup. I put that in quotations. No one can uh, see. But for their breakup, it was a uh, it was a neat one. It was a neat one. They met in the middle of this vast desert and one turns the, to the back of the other and sets a timer for him to self-destruct. And they say that they don't say anything, <laughs> but they yeah. say they're a goodbye, so to speak, and then walk in separate ways and one explodes um, oh my <laughs> which is it's part of their beautiful art these sons of guns um and and a fitting and a fitting goodbye for them as well that you know that's a different the deaf punk podcast of their whole entire trip is, is a different story but yeah that's the kind of artists we're dealing with today yeah <laughs> most definitely as you said last week our first ever album created by robots right <laughs> it's so it's so exciting yeah but of course they're not actually robots they're guys who portray robots but they're so secret they might as well be robots so yeah their their mystique is super cool and uh another real quick deep rooted is that whole robotic persona uh, came, they've all always done like masks and things. Early in their career, they had an accident and uh, and a bunch of electronic equipment exploded and they woke up robots. Well, I think it was September 9th, 1999 at 9.09 oh. or something like that. <laughs> that was, that was their, the, the beginning of their story. And it's, uh, it's evolved through the years as their art has evolved. So a, a cool thing to be watching from the get-go yes but interestingly there was quite a break for this album for them actually because before this their previous album was actually released in 2005 they did do a soundtrack for tron legacy in that interval but the official follow-up did not come until 2013 and there were it seems like some stops in between recording sessions for what would become the next album and a lot of different collaborators coming on board and uh, something different than what they'd done before. They decided to use live instruments, which was a big change for an electronic French duo. <laughs> uh, yeah, a, a big change for them, period. Even though they were trained musicians from what they gave to everybody else, especially in live performances, was predominantly through machines, through synthesizers and whatnot, but more through so through DJing equipment. I hate to say it like that, but just for, for a common term. Yeah, very nice DJ equipment and super state-of-the-art and expensive, oh, yeah. but yeah. yeah. Yeah, a stop is an understatement. I mean, you're like 2005, live a live one, and then to go on this wild, they did a tour. I think they stopped touring in like 2007, but still it had been so long. I think they popped up in at Coachella somewhere in there and did a whole run. I could be wrong about that. Long story short, the world was searching for them almost. I'll never forget when I heard that they were putting this album out. I went nuts. For me, for two different reasons that I remember wholeheartedly. One, I was so excited to hear what they were going to bring to the table. I, I hadn't caught word that they were going to do 
in their words, uh, or try to create a light and polished and elegant record. I didn't know that, but I was excited to hear whatever they brought because they always blew my mind throughout. But two, in a self, I'll say selfish way, but in more of a selfish, excited way, I was going to be able to see them live because I was convinced that they would tour for this album, which ultimately they never did. And very heartbreaking for me. <laughs> I mean, they honestly should have, because funnily enough, uh, this was their most successful release ever, actually, which was kind of surprising because for a group this far into their career to have their most successful album come 15 years in is uh, not common. And uh, it was a group I'd heard of as a kid early on. The only song I knew was One More Time. And of course, that's a synonymous song with dance music. Many people know it, but this was really the first time I remember hearing about them coming out with something. And uh, I didn't hear this whole album, but I did hear a couple of the singles and uh, enjoyed them. One of them was Inescapable. We'll get to that. And uh, it seemed all around that this was uh, the year for Daft Punk. They were right place, right time with this album. And people wanted something different, and they delivered, and uh, they got their biggest hit ever off of this album, and uh, platinum in the U.S., highest selling worldwide. And then, to cap it all off, uh, this year at the Grammys, Daft Punk won every award they were nominated for, including Album of the Year, which was uh, impressive for a band that had been gone so long, but the world was ready for it, and they had some real A-listers on the album, two that are undeniable, and we'll talk some more about those A-listers, but it was the perfect recipe, and it's so funny because I used to watch the Grammys every year. I don't now because you just see so many articles and videos of that stuff. You feel like you already saw the show, like what's the point, but they won the album of the year, and I hadn't heard the album but I was glad they won because they beat Taylor Swift, who at the time I was not a fan of. <laughs> but let's just say that's not the case anymore for me. <laughs> what was her album that year? Red. Okay. And Red was an odd case because the songs that you heard on the radio actually were not the most representative of the album because it did have some big pop hits on it. But really, the entire album is not quite like that. It's much more singer, songwriter, pop rock overall. But she ran the gamut with that one. But the biggest issue for me was I really hated that song, uh, We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together. Oh, yeah. Okay, I remember that song. I hated it. But this is the stupidest song ever. She's horrible. And I just devoted my sophomore year of high school to hating Taylor Swift. I heard that. But <laughs> <laughs> senior year, she gave us 1989. And I was like, oh, she's back. But then I listened to it. Somebody told me, oh, you have to. They burned me the CD, actually, to get me to listen to it. There you go. And uh, sure enough, uh, here we are. I got my pre-sale code for the tour. Nice, nice, nice. So That's I'm awesome. really excited about that. That's amazing. I don't know who I'll get to go with me, but I can't wait either way. Heard that. And that's in May, right? Yeah. Heard that. In Philly. But I'll find somebody, I'm sure, because... She's got plenty of fans, of course. Heard that. Heard 52 that. shows in stadiums. 
this summer. That's insane. That is insane. And anyway, so there were some who felt that Red was snubbed, but it wasn't considered an all-time great Grammy snub, like some that would come in years ahead. But we're not here to talk about those. They're... It was pretty accepted, I feel like, for them to win the Grammys. Yeah, th that success is part of this enigma that they are, or in my opinion, that they are. Uh, so now we're at the, what we know now is the end of their career. They're finding the most success they ever had. And in fact, they're finding it doing a call out, said by them, but a call out to say that the pool of music is getting very thin and there's not much depth to it and there's not much freedom to it. So they want to go out and express this freedom, express this this willingness and, and this readiness to, to, I keep wanting to say give life to music, but I'm just going to say it, give life back to music. And they did it and they didn't tour and and they finished off with it it's it's pretty uh pretty unique and and pretty perfect for for them as who they are it's all it's it's almost like it was pre-written their their whole entire story that's why i've always enjoyed them yeah it does seem pretty planned out which is pretty cool yeah but yeah they didn't do much after this they did have a couple popular collaborations with the weekend in 2016 but Oh yeah, Starboy. I forgot about that. That's right. Oh, that's one of the weekend's best songs, in my opinion. Heard. But yeah, that was that was a great track. I I totally forgot they worked on that. Yeah, I was reminded of it too, but I thought, oh, Starboy, what a great song, actually. Oh yeah. And not as overplayed as Blinding Lights, because if I ever hear that song again, I might hit my head against the wall. So overplayed. <laughs> Heard that. You know, you know. Going back to where you were talking about them doing that Tron Legacy soundtrack right before this, they, they were saying how humbling it was and how much of a giant undertaking it was and how much of a challenge it was for them as musicians. And going on into Random Access Memories, I feel like they've carried that. It's really, in my opinion, like a wrap up of their whole entire career, which is, again, crazy because at this point, we didn't know it was the end. Did they? Maybe. Maybe they knew before they even recorded this that they wouldn't tour or do anything and that they were finishing. That's a really cool thought. I've never, never gone down that road. But anyway, um, you know, to, to see that that come full circle after that is, is amazing. Yeah, I never saw Tron Legacy. I kind of wanted to, though, but I did not see it. Have you ever seen the original Tron? No. I would see the original Tron first. And I then figured. See that. Even, I mean, you could see them in any which way you wanted to. Um, but it always it always lends itself uh, with that early source material. It's well done either way. Soundtrack, and you can listen to that soundtrack by itself and have a really nice, I like to use it sometimes in meditation. I like to use it sometimes just oh. relaxing, but it, it's, it's super cool. Well done. Super awesome soundtrack. Good to know. <laughs> but this isn't quite a meditative album. So yeah. they wanted to get your booties moving and they succeeded at that, I think. So... With that being said, let's access these memories. Let's do it. So already hinted at track one is Give Life Back to Music, which basically is kind of the theme song of this album. And uh, I think giving back life refers to kind of, you know, what you were saying earlier, and then they're bringing in these live instruments. We're going to 
bring life back to it and go back to kind of when there was more creativity with it because this song is loaded personnel-wise. These players are no joke. So we get a guitar from Niall Rogers, who, if you don't know who that is, mega producer and one of the founders of the disco band Chic. Legend right there. And then we have Paul Jackson Jr., who is not related to Michael Jackson, but he played with Michael Jackson on his landmark albums, Off the Wall and Thriller. And then we have drums by J.R. Robinson, who also played with Michael Jackson and has a stacked list of hits that he's been on that is way too long to get into here. But he was also a member of uh, Rufus, the band Shaka Khan led before she went solo. So... Yeah, he literally has played pretty much on everything you've ever heard in your entire life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he is the, the session drummer to end all session drummers. What what a crazy wild mashup of artists right here on the first track. Yeah, but they all go together very well. This is a very cohesive track overall, but Daft Punk, of course, are futuristic with their vocoder vocals. And uh, yeah, I think this is a great opener. I can't think of a better way to open this album and this journey that we're going to be taking. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you touched on that vocoder too, because it's used in my opinion in a reverse sense, because at this time we're living in that world of the auto-tune. So a band or a duo of robots who is trying to put a human, put life back into their sound speaking as a robot for me is super powerful and it's something that we hear throughout this album and it's something that really drives home for me what Daft Punk has always done and that's present themselves as these robots um so it's neat to see how these robotic sounds strive to have a human quality and then also know as artists how they really did use that vocoder and, and want to give it depth and movability like a human voice, which, which I thought was super cool. Yeah, and they weren't the first to use a vocoder or auto-tune in the emotional sadness way because Cher certainly did that when she did Believe. Oh, yeah. But this was bringing it back. It wasn't something that had been done for a while, so... Uh, it was good that they bought it back and it was a really cool use and it's a motif that we'll see throughout the album. Oh yeah. So there's that and uh, that motif continues on track two, The Game of Love, not a Santana cover, but <laughs> that's always what I think of. That song was huge when I was a kid. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But you, you want to talk about that vocoder in a segue. This, this is for me the the height of the use of that vocoder. Um, oh, yeah. You know, th this track here, uh, a, a slick little relaxing tune, crisp and robotic in the sense of that vocoder, but has that feeling that we were just talking about in the last track um, that comes across. I enjoyed this track. What do you think about this one? Um, I didn't like it as much as the first one. I didn't think it was a very danceable track. No. It's definitely more of a mid-tempo. I feel like the lyrics were pretty redundant. That's probably intentional. And we don't necessarily come to dance music for the lyrics. Um, this one was middle of the pack for me on the album. Not the weakest, but definitely not my favorite. I think we've got better coming up for sure. Tempo-wise, it does fall a little bit behind the rest of the album. And as a second track, 
you're right it's not a dancer tune um it almost has a little bit of a lonely feel as as the vocals of the vocoder go um but yeah not danceable you're right definitely definitely a slow one for track two yeah and uh i mean i guess it kind of makes sense for the next track which is a really interesting one yeah uh giorgio by maroder so this song is uh done around a monologue from Giorgio Moroder, who, if you don't know who that is, he's a legend. I have in my notes the word legend in all capital letters because Daft Punk doesn't exist without Giorgio Moroder. Dance music as we know it does not. But it's a pretty interesting monologue. And he had multiple microphones all around him while he spoke when recording this, Moroder did. And... Interestingly, this was a part of Marauder's return to music because he retired in 1993, but came out of retirement in 2012 at the age of 72, and he's still working today, which is incredible. Incredible. And uh, it's mostly an instrumental track, but this Marauder monologue is the basis for where they go with it, and uh, I think it's really interesting. It does go on for nine minutes, but... It's a well-done instrumental, and uh, I mean, how could they not, if they're going to do a callback to this 70s disco sound, uh, how can you not mention Giorgio Moroder? And uh, the cool thing about it that I really liked was uh, he's talking about this album that he was working on that was going to have sounds of the 50s and 60s and whatnot, but also the sounds of the future, and uh, the album in question is called I Remember Yesterday. It's Donna Summer's 1977 album that featured the legendary track I Feel Love, which was the future because it's a Moog synthesizer all the way and it predicted everything that came after and it's a legendary track, possibly the most important dance track of all time. I don't think that's an overstatement. No, I don't think it's an overstatement especially in the genre we're, we're, we're sitting in right now. No. I mean, it's pretty unanimously accepted that it is, but I thought that was a really cool thing. And I do like Donna Summer, so I like that she was acknowledged, even if not by name, but it was cool. It's like, he's definitely talking about her. And that album really did combine the disco sound with those old sounds with songs like Love's Unkind and the title track. So, yeah, I enjoy this one. I do. This one for me, first listen, number one, the first time I realized that this album was going to be super concept and out there. But two, as a whole, going back and listening to this song over and over and over again, just not this week, but throughout since since this album was released, it's utterly mind blowing. And on so many different levels. The first level is that you have Giorgio sitting there narrating the experience of, of recording I Feel Love and using that synthesizer for the first time. And Giorgio even says, like, I can't put, I, I was actually taken a little bit aback. I'm paraphrasing, but it was like, I was taken aback a little bit because they were like, tell a story. And then they didn't ask me to play or anything. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just talking on this track. And they're like, we're going to do the music to what you say here. 
Um, and they do, and they do, even to where he starts to talk about the click track and they just go and, and have that click track in um, in this narrative and it swells from there. I mean, it, a mashup of every sound and a real testament to the freedom and to the pioneering of Giorgio throughout. I mean, you hear literally every style of music almost, or at least a little piece of every style of music by the end of this song. Drums, synthesizer, orchestra, DJ record scratches, funky bass drops, uh, 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 raw drums, everything is there. And it, there's a victorious like overwhelmingly happy sense of freedom that just em emits profusely from this 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 track for me. It, it was unexpected at the start with just an empty narrative um, and not knowing who he was. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I didn't realize who he was when I first listened to this album the, the day it came out, but it, it it's a layered masterpiece. This is a genius track. A nine minutes, it's nowhere near a radio track. And it's not sort of like this whole entire album. It's not necessarily all user friendly, but a listener friendly period. But it is, again, in my opinion, a, a genius testament to to the sound that he pioneered and they pioneered. You know, uh, they're they're both trailblazers inside of this genre. Ugh, genius. I'm sorry. Yeah. I could go on forever on this genius. I mean, I think what you said was beautiful. You really summed it up. And it is a great tribute. And. You're right. And Daft Punk came about after Marauder had retired. So there was that void kind of, of well, who's going to do this? And also over time, Marauder's work was a bit more mainstream. He did some pretty big hits in the 80s, but they weren't as revolutionary as I feel love, even though they're great songs, in my opinion. But still not quite changing the game, but these guys came around and did that in their own way. And Marauder admitted to being a fan of their work and one more time in particular. Yeah, the middle breakdown. I love that he said that. That's so great. <laughs> so, yeah, it just makes perfect sense. And I agree with you that it's a brilliant track. And uh, even though it's long, none of it's wasted. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. None of it is wasted. And... Uh, this is a hard one to follow, I must say. Indeed, indeed. But I think this one is a decent follow-up. I think that's a hard, just, some songs you just can't, nothing's going to look good next to against an epic track like this, but doesn't mean it's bad. So track number four is Within, and this is a song about being lost. It's obviously a lot shorter than the other one. Uh... The lyrics to this are pretty simple, but they get the point across. I think it's an absolutely beautiful composition. That piano line is amazing. It's from Chili Gonzalez. He'd worked with Daft Punk 10 years prior to 2013. And uh, I just think that the lyrics really hit you where it hurts. It gives you all the feels, as they would say. I know I got the feels where I was like, oh, this is just so raw and real. And uh, yeah, I, I am a fan of this one, I must say. Yeah, th this one this one has so many different challenges too, because one, it drops right after Giorgio in that fourth spot, where if you haven't, like you said, if you haven't stopped and taken a deep breath, this is a, it's a tough place to, to follow musically. Two, 
they test Chili with the uh, challenge of taking this album from an A minor and moving it to a B flat minor, which it's going to stay in the rest of the album. It was a neat thing that I found while I was going through reading about this album that I, I never realized, but it's so true. Um, so, and, and that was the the background challenge for this track period. Then on top of that, I love, you said the piano line, you're totally right on that, uh, or I totally agree with you on that because it's it's just this reoccurring beautiful melody that sticks and while it's sticking and while it's getting us to to move along with it it's taking us into that key where so i think he succeeded there twice the lyrics are super cool again i i go super imagination on these i i it's my daft punk imagination but this is that same lonely uh robot android computer ai whatever you want to say you know trying to find this humanity inside of uh of these random access memories uh for me and and i love that it sings along with the way game of love felt lonely for me and that that gives me all the feels just like you said it's a it's a it's weird how much feeling is inside that with a vocoder uh, not weird. It's it's astounding to me how how they they emulate that feeling. Yeah, yes. but and and the fourth spot, man, it, it's a it's a cool one. I just thought of this. You know what movie Daft Punk totally should have scored? What up, Wally? Oh, that would have been <laughs> that would have been awesome. That would have been awesome. I mean, they're in the, Des the Disney family. Maybe they'll be out there for Wally too or something. <laughs> oh, we're putting it out there. Come on back together. Come on. Yep. That, that, I, I go on for days about it, but I guarantee you, both of them are out there still making music. They're, they're probably making music together. But knowing them, they're masters of hide, not, not even hiding. They're masters of hiding in plain sight. Yeah. And they always have been. So who knows what we're listening that, to right now that they're, they have their hands all in. Indeed. At least, at least I, I hope so. You know, a boy can dream. <laughs> yes 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 he can and uh yeah with that being said i think the next song is another example of their eclectic taste though because this is not a collaborator i would have expected on the dance album i'm not going to lie just based on what i know because i really don't know much about this guy but Track five is Instant Crush, and it's a collaboration with the lead singer of a band called The Strokes, Julian Casablancas. I've heard that The Strokes are good, but I am not familiar with them. So uh, there's mark that. It, mark it down. We're doing The Strokes album. <laughs> I guess we, I, I, I'm, I'm supposed to have at least heard the first one, I think. So, <laughs> but, so, uh, I know they're an alt-rock band, though, so not EDM, but he did this song, and what I found interesting was that Julian wrote lyrics for this song inspired by Paul Williams, who we'll hear from later in the album, but he just got rid of them. He said, nope, it didn't work, and he just kind of came up with what he did on the spot, which is pretty impressive, because this is one of the best songs uh, lyrically on the album, I think because we have a more singer-songwriter type than the other collaborators here. That was more what he was going for. Lyrics matter more in alt-rock. So he's uh, in that mode. Uh, I think that the groove is decent. 
This is uh, just one of those songs I wish I liked more than I did, though. Something doesn't 100% add up, and uh, I'm also going to point this out now. I want to support Julian Casablancas because I don't know if you've looked up his father, but what a piece of shit. Oh, no. John Casablancas, who had a lot of statutory rapes in his life, a modeling man who, yeah, had sex with teenage girls. So, great guy. Oh, man. That's So, nuts. yeah, uh, not a good person I could imagine being a father figure to anybody, because, ew. So, but good for Julian for having made something of himself and uh, getting out from that, hopefully, because what the actual fuck? That's disgusting. <laughs> but that's not really related to the song. Um, Yeah, well, just doesn't quite add up for me 100%. Yeah, I, I can feel it, and I've almost convinced myself that this song is orchestrated purposely on that point because for me one i don't want to lose the thought about casablancas in a meta outside of daft punk daft punk's mystique reading what they say about recording each track or some of the stuff that they say casablancas is way above his normal register here and for that to be on the spot it was for them uh they said like super blown away and that's why they were like let's use exactly what's going on right now even though he still comes through as him uh because he has a very distinct draw on his voice um in my opinion you can hear it through the the auto-tune slash vocoder of this um this track though going back to the thought of it being composed like that of like you want to like it a little bit more than you do I for me it is almost and and I and this isn't to her it's just it's always what I've heard the start of this reminds me of a young pop feel almost like an early Taylor Swift because it comes off like like it's very off the cut and it changes and the hook is infectious but it has that real I use the word weak only inside of this this thought, but that weak, early popish feel to it. And I feel like it's on purpose, just another random piece of random access memory inside of all this different music. But you're right. You're right. There's just something almost I'll never say unfinished because they're perfectionists like through and through. But there's something here that it's like, eh. I wish I, I love that. I love that you've coined that phrase for me. I wish I liked it a little bit more than I did. It's perfect for this one. It There's is certain songs out there. I've done it two weeks in a row now, but it, yeah. that's just how it is sometimes. And this is uh, that one for me, but it was heralded as a highlight by a lot of people. And it yeah. was the fourth single and it was 116 in the US. So this was a single? Yeah. I didn't even realize that. So wow. was the uh, opener too. I forgot to mention that was the final single. I could see that. I could see that. I don't remember hearing Instant Crush anywhere. Oh. Huh. No, neither do I. I remember hearing two of the songs here. And uh, 
one of those songs I remember vaguely. I forgot it existed until we redid this, but so glad I remembered it now. Lose Yourself to Dance. Oh, man. Love this jam. Number six track, Lose Yourself to Dance. Woo. You're right. Yes. So this was what I feel like it was in a commercial or something was where I heard it. But I don't remember what it was for. But anyway, it was a thing I heard. I do remember that. It wasn't a huge hit, but it got some rotation, of course. But how could it not? This had the names on it. So this is, a, once again, a Nile Rodgers collaboration, the second of three on this album. But this time, we get the involvement of Pharrell Williams. We discussed him once very briefly on this podcast, and we both agree that he's a genius. And at this point, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say he is one of the all-time great producers of pop music. It's not exaggeration to put him in the same sentence as Niall Rogers at this point. He's a gift from the universe to music, period. I, yes. I can't put him high enough on a pedestal. I, he, as a person, as a musician, he is a one-of-a-kind artist. Yeah, and he's still going strong after 20-plus years, so... Oh, we'll, we'll hear about him until it's over. You know what I'm saying? He's one of those ones that'll, that'll go down in history all the way through. He'll touch it all. Yeah, and as he should... And I liked what he said about this song. He said that this song, quote, makes me feel like walking down the street in the middle of the night in London, and it's 1984, 1985. I don't hear 70s in that at all, unquote, which I actually kind of get it. I feel like it could go both ways. And the other comment, I actually agree with this. You wouldn't think of it, but it makes sense. He said he could have imagined David Bowie doing this song. and. That may not make sense at first, but it does, because guess who produced David Bowie's 1983 album, Let's Dance? Who? Niall Rogers. Oh, heard that. There you so, go. So, considering that, it's actually not as far off as it may seem. Ooh, that's awesome. Thank you for that. I think is amazing. I love that. Um, Yeah, this one... I did say it got some rotation, but this definitely deserved to be a much bigger hit than it was in the U.S. This way didn't even chart on the Hot 100. It was number three on Bubbling Under, and uh, that is just wrong, in my opinion. I do think the lead single was a hard thing to escape from underneath, because it was just one of those songs that did not go away. But still, this is another classic to me, and I just think it's this great fusion of uh, modern and retro. Mm-hmm. And uh, this album's at its best when it does that, particularly with Nile Rodgers, I believe. So, uh, oh, what a beautiful song. <laughs> we, are, we are on the same exact thought process here. In my notes, I have that it is beautifully symbiotic. The human element of Pharrell Williams' the drums, the guitar of Rogers. And for me, this is the first track where I get old school Daft Punk coming into it with that chromatic come on hook behind that that they beautifully start at 
the smallest of rhythms and it's so complex by the end that symbiotic dance um between those two elements is phenomenal lose yourself to dance i can only think it didn't chart because the tempo is set a tiny bit behind what normal dance is used to but all that takes is a good dj to speed it up just a tad and this song is not going to lose anything from that if you if you're using this in a club sense or a radio sense and you you up that tempo just a tab you're not going to lose anything there um it's 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 a shame that it didn't chart higher and have more ears on it but you know that you've hit the nail on the head because the lead single to this album just overshadowed in the eyes of your random listener this whole entire album um i i you probably find people that think this the name of this album is 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 that track and we keep saying that track because we haven't got to it yet but it'll all make sense when we get there Oh, you'll um, know when you hear it. You will know exactly <laughs> what we're talking about. But for our first uh, our first touch of Pharrell on this album, mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Yes, I'm really glad I rediscovered this one, I have to say, because I didn't, like, download it to iTunes when it came out. I think it kind of went over my head, was a bit in the background, but what a great song. Right before we started this podcast, I had all the lights off in this room and I blasted it. And I was like, I'll lay it out. Like I was on the verge of a few tears, just jamming to pure jam. It, it, I love this song so much. Oh, yeah. What a banger. Yeah. But you said something about having a touch. And that's a perfect segue to track number seven, Touch. And so this song features Paul Williams, an actor, songwriter, personality of the 70s primarily, but not at all disco or funk. No, no, no. But I love this quote from him. Back when I was drinking, I would imagine things that weren't there and I'd get frightened. Then I got sober and two robots called and asked me to make an album. Oh, it's so great. It's so great. Are you familiar with, with Williams before this album? Um, yes, because I am a total nerd. I grew up watching Game Show Network, and he totally used to appear on Match Game all the time. So he is an outsized personality, definitely. And I'll say this now, I think he's a stronger personality than he is a songwriter. I'm going to say <laughs> that now. Um <laughs> You're you're not you're not in uh, in the few on that. He is a very polarizing individual. <laughs> so uh, yeah, for those who don't know, Paul Williams is a '70s hit songwriter, but not quite of the Nile Rodgers, uh, Giorgio Moroder vein. He is on the other side. He comes from the earlier pre-disco part of the decade. And he wrote white bread adult contemporary hits for acts like the Carpenters. Uh, Barbara Streisand and Free Dog Night. So, uh, yeah, not something you would think of with Daft Punk, but no. these guys are fans of them. And uh, this song features him, and it's a, a very dramatic reading he gives us. And I feel that that's uh, intentional, I'm sure. Um, it's the second longest song on the album, it's eight minutes long. I think it's a very unique song. I definitely like elements of it a lot. 
But as I said before, I think Paul Williams is a great personality. I mean, just that quote alone, fantastic. What a guy. He is not a Nile Rodgers uh, when it comes to songwriting. I mean, if we're going to talk about that kind of music, something like The Carpenters, for instance, that was elevated by the voice of the late, great Karen Carpenter. Most definitely. I mean, if you look at his track listing period what he's worked on a rainbow connection all these a lot of these songs we don't hear his voice um you know it's purely writing um that being said the craziest part about this is the first time i heard it i knew exactly who it was um he for some reason his voice and and likeness always is there in my head um and I thought he was all the way out of the game. And I'm pretty sure he was for a long time because of alcoholism. So it was so crazy. I'll, I'll never forget it. Just listening to this album day one and being like, what? What? That's that dude with the glasses that writes all the the, the songs. Like I knew exactly who he was. And so it's, it's weird. Uh, or it was weird to hear that. As far as this song goes, though, for Daft Punk, or at least one half of them, Dahomem uh, Christo, to state that this is the core of the record and the other tracks are the memories, the random memories that this robotic mind or, or whatever you want to say. Again, I, I could do AI, this, that. So uh, the other tracks are the memories that are revolving around this core track. Uh, it makes a little bit more sense to it as being this long and this theatrical of a sense it's that number seven track which for me i feel like it's perfectly the core of the album um but without that extra narration i don't know if that comes across fully throughout it It, you know people have said it has a day in the life feel which i can see from crescendoing but for me Knowing now that it is the core of this this robot per se, and then you're getting those ragtime elements, the trumpet clarinet uh, at, at like three minutes, and then you you know you're getting some other orchestrated uh, pieces throughout. It almost feels like maybe you know, sometimes I go a little far in, but it always feels to me like this search throughout all of it. Um, so it's this long search that we're hearing, and it ends up in these electronic sounds that we can't even really decipher as music, per se. Um, it's a very unique one, a very unique one. This this one is, is an artistic piece in the middle of, of this album. And I, I like I said, I wouldn't know it was the core unless I was told, but it makes total sense after, after they say that. Hmm. Something to think. Yeah, something to think about. Some layered stuff. It I mean, definitely go. is something to think about. Still, not my favorite song here, and it's yeah. d- it's definitely no day in the life. I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> no, not at I all. I mean, maybe it was influenced by it, but not even close. No, I heard no. the news today. Oh boy, <laughs> touch. You're not the best song on the album. Sorry. Sorry, Paul. It, it's fine. It's fine. Not sorry to Paul McCartney, though. That's our man. But, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, moving on. Fortunately for me, we're back to Pharrell and Niall Rogers with uh, the song, Get Lucky. 
You know it. This was the lead single from the album, and what a banger. I mean, <laughs> if you haven't heard it, well, you must have been living under a rock 10 years ago almost, I guess, because this was everywhere. <laughs> um, so this is similar in vibe, I guess, to Lose Yourself the Dance, but it is a much more pronounced in its funk sensibility, for sure. And uh, I mean, how crazy was it to have Niall Rogers on a hit track in 2013? That was mind-blowing to me. I know I didn't grow up with Niall Rogers and his music when it came out, but I do love a lot of his songs, and I have for a long time. I mean, Sheik made some of the all-time great disco bangers, La Freak, Good Times, uh, and then the work that he did with other artists was incredible, but when was the last time he'd done something this big? It had been a long time, but here he was back in the forefront, and uh, what an amazing thing to see. I thought it was great to see an old-timer genius musician and producer back in the limelight with such a song and collaborating with Pharrell, who I think just did a great job with this. And uh, I love this. Pharrell heard about Daft Punk uh, and their album at one of Madonna's parties, which makes sense because Pharrell and Madonna did work together in 2008, but Pharrell said he would play the tambourine if they wanted him to. He would do just that little, but that would be a waste of uh, Mr. Williams, of course. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was a smart move to have him on the track, and it certainly helped it become big because Pharrell's one of the best hit pop producers ever. So there's that. Um, This made it up to number two on the Hot 100, and interestingly, it was behind another disco-inspired hit, Blurred Lines, by Robin Thicke. Um, Obviously, this one has aged better and doesn't have any baggage associated with uh, possibly promoting rape. This never made it over Blurred Lines for number one? No, which is crazy to think about. Blurred Lines was number one for 12 weeks. Wow. This uh, should have gonna... been number one at some point. Obviously. Yeah, I was going to say, what was this, number two for 12 weeks? <laughs> that's that's wild. That's just wild. Just thinking about how much saturation this song had in popular culture, period, right when it was released, for it not to be number one is pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, and for the year end, it was actually only 14, which for the whole year of 2013 also seems... Uh, mind-blowing to me because this was everywhere and I loved the song but I remember I was shocked when I bought it on iTunes to find out it was six minutes because <laughs> the whole thing wasn't played on the radio but yeah I know some people I know did not like this song they just found it really annoying but I always enjoy that I don't know I I find it hard to to not find be just beauty in this song um I won't even I think for the first time in the history of this podcast, I'm not even going to go into the musicality of this song. It stands on its own two feet. It's funky as all get. It's beautiful. It's well-rounded. It's a whole piece. The two coolest things that I found out, or one cool thing that I found out and one thing that I've always thought and loved about this song. One, Pharrell said that 
Literally, it evoked a peachy colored sunrise on an exotic island. That was the feeling he got when they that when they started writing this song. And I always wondered why that was the cover to have you ever seen the cover to yes. the single? I always wondered. I was like, was it like an 80s shout out? What are we doing here? But that was literally from Pharrell's brain of just how he felt about that track. So it was something that I found out uh in reading on this album and i thought that was something that i wanted to share with everybody uh, a cool little snippet but for me the i mean can i say something real quick that's actually chef. perfectly in line with pharrell because he claims he has a synesthesia which produces picture sensations like that supposedly so oh that's awesome perfectly in line with him i just wanted to add that in but get no. right ahead thank you because i never knew that I I'm telling you, man, that he is a gift. Yeah, ah, he is. Give me five days with him. Just let me pick his brain for five days. Why five? I don't know. It just seemed right. But still, <laughs> just give me any time with Pharrell. Anyway, um, for me, one of the most powerful things about this song that I love because it speaks to the enigma of the Daft Punk. And it's, for me, it's hidden in plain sight, like they are always inside of this beautiful funky jam is a mission statement for who they are at this point in their career. And we get it. And I feel like we don't even hear it, but it's right there. We've come so far to give up who we are. So let's raise the bar and our cups to the stars. I almost teared up saying that, but legitimately the mission statement for Daft Punk at this point in their career and what they've gave to us as music as a whole. And I always thought that was such a powerful piece of this, this song in its whole. Oh yeah. And uh, I wanted to add this. So we weren't the only ones who loved it. This was the winner of record of the year at the Grammys in 2014. And I remember this, I was reminded of it. It was performed on the show. They all got together and had none other than the great Stevie Wonder join them, which was awesome. I'm so glad you saw this because I forgot to send it to you. All right, go on. So I remember watching that on TV and freaking out. I was like, they're all together. Ah. Uh, how? I mean, the, again, I go to Pharrell again, but like, whoo, boy, you get to live that life. Like, think about doing that all together, just jamming out. Oh, such a wild, epic, epic jam session. Anybody who hasn't seen that, it's out there go watch it i there's there's a version of the rehearsal and then there's a version of it being played and it's phenomenal either way just glorious yes. glorious and also i can confirm this is a fun jam live because i did see niall rogers and his reformed chic open for share on her last tour and get lucky was part of their set list ah no shit that's amazing i know you told me that you saw them open but that's that's cool, man. Yeah. That is cool. It was pretty interesting because they also did the songs that Niall produced for other artists. One of those was Let's Dance, they did, and they did the Diana Ross medley of I'm Coming Out and Upside Down because he did that album for her. So he's a beast. A beast. What a guy. This whole album is beasts, you know? Oh, yeah. And we're back to one of them with track number nine, because we can't go on about track number eight forever. <laughs> uh, this is Beyond, which is the same team as Touch, but it does not feature vocals from Paul Williams. I like this song better than Touch. It's not as long. It has a great string intro. Absolutely beautiful. 
it's a cool composition, but I don't know, not my, just kind of there for me. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, yeah. When you open with this beautiful orchestra, I feel like the only reason I ran to this song, so to speak, or or embraced it right off is because for me, it sounds a little bit like one of my favorite tunes ever, and that's Regulate. Um, so it's oh. got it's got that bass like uh, I'm doing a disservice because it, the regulate actually um, samples it from someone else. Um, oh. But it, it's it's a it's a ridiculously beautiful line. Of course, it doesn't it, it it takes inspiration from it. It doesn't necessarily mimic it. But for me, it was something that clicked. I totally agree with that point about touch it's it's something i hadn't thought of but for him not being on this uh you know vocally and having and been inside of the writing process it really sort of tells that same kind of story you know we again we find this robotic voice talking about human feelings and finding yourself beyond the world that you know or something we would think inside of that transcendence being a human feeling Again, we, we see this robotic voice talking about it. And you're right. It, it hits a little bit harder than touch. That's a, that's a super cool point. I agree with you there. Um, yeah, it falls a little flat, though. Uh, that, that's, that's where I was, was coming to on this. It, it gets extra points because there's a regulate piece in there for me. <laughs> but it, it does. It falls a little bit flat. Uh, yeah, but I guess they can't all be winners. Like, not everything can be perfect, but... Now we're getting to the home stretch. We're at track number 10, Mother Load. Uh, this is an instrumental. Um, I don't have a lot to say about this one. It's just kind of there. It has some decent instrumental elements, but kind of plods along for me. I hate to say it. This is definitely my least favorite on the album, and you don't have to put a gun to my head uh, to say this is my least favorite. A fully orchestrated no lyric instrumental throughout that is just layered and layered and layered and layered and layered even the bands um touting it as a futuristic composition that could be from the year 4000 um it, it's 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 there it's there it's it's cool and it's neat sounding but it evokes for me just a little bit of a sense of like a surrealism inside of itself because you hear all types of stuff from bird chirps to synthesizers throughout it so the surrealism of it uh, i guess is a futuristic composition but yeah i, I, I can't necessarily wrap my head around it those robots yeah. got me on this one i feel like this is a I feel like this should have just been like a brief interlude and not a whole track. Like it should have been like a minute, minute and a half interlude. Because it does make sense for there to be a transition from these songs that we heard to the next part of the album. But it did need to be this long, that's for sure. Yeah. But fortunately, we're at a really good point in the album now with this uh, home stretch. So... Track number 11, Fragments of Time. This is a collaboration with Garage DJ Todd Edwards. Uh, um, yeah, this one, it has this cut-up technique that was used by this guy, which is perfect for the song. I mean, it's called Fragments of Time. Of course, uh, 
you're going to do that. And uh, I'm not going to lie, this melody gives me a bit of a Prince vibe. Heard. And uh, the other comparisons I saw, one was Sheena Easton, which makes sense because she collaborated with Prince several times. And also Hall and Oates, which not Prince, but that 80s R&B pop soul kind of thing. And uh, I really enjoyed this one. This was a winner for me. I think this is a really cool song. And uh, I thought it was so funny that Todd Edwards said that the microphone he used was worth more than his car. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see that. That's great. <laughs> That's how they do it. It was also used by Frank Sinatra, too, so. Same mic? Yeah. Oh, man, I want it. <laughs> they went all out with this one, but. Oh, man. The Fragments of Time, man, written about his time with Daft Punk uh, during the recording or, or, you know, just collaborating period. And you, you, you said, you pretty much said all my notes, which I love when, when we're on the same path. That cut up style is perfect. I mean, the song's called Fragments in Time. It has, 80s is what I was going to say. I, I can see where you're at with the Prince. I can see, I guess, where people are at with the Hall notes. Just regardless, that 80s sound really sings true inside of this. Um, in fact, in my notes, I had the fragment memory from the 80s uh, is really what I, I took from this on it being one of the random access memories. It was a cool one. I enjoyed this. It's it's a it's a catchy one. It really sticks with you. Yeah, based on what I know about the '80s, I think a lot of people who live through it have random memories because they don't remember all of it. So, <laughs> <laughs> heard that, heard that. Just from what I hear, but, <laughs> but these are fragments of times that we want to remember. And uh, fortunately, I think the next song is one of them. We're at the penultimate track of the album, "Doing It Right." This is a collaboration with Panda Bear of the group Animal Collective. This is definitely the most traditional Daft Punk sounding song. This is something you would kind of expect from them. This is pure electronic. I feel like it's kind of a, almost a callback to what Giorgio Moroder was talking about with I Remember Yesterday. In that early part, they were going to the throwback sounds. But of course, in this case, the throwback sounds are the modern sounds for Giorgio back in 1977. His retro was uh, 50s and 60s, but now it's 70s, 80s at the point of this. But at this end of the album, we get these two pretty futuristic sounding tracks, which I think is really cool. I don't know if that was uh, an intentional callback to what Giorgio had to say, but knowing them, it might have been. I'd like to think it was. I'd like to think it was too, but they came forward and have been quoted as saying that this was the only track on the album that was fully electronic. And I love that because they, again, we're talking about pioneers in, in this field who are doing a human related album where they're trying, where they're setting out to do a live sound and make dance music with, with a live performers and they choose these live performers to make an electronic, an all electronic track. And their choice, in my opinion, is a great choice because they choose half of the Animal Collective. One, they're Baltimore boys. I remember yes. when these boys were coming up and City Paper was going nuts about them and I had no idea who they were. They're avant-garde 
sound is really, really unique and it fit perfectly here. This is Daft Punk. You said it right. I mean, you want to talk about old school Daft Punk doing it right. Ah, man, this 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 is very, very awesome. I do think it was on purpose. I, again, I don't know if it was on purpose with the Giorgio, which it probably was with them, but I do think it was on purpose. At this point in the album, we're starting to see this robotic send-off because it's them, because it is them. Yeah, and uh, this one was immediately heralded as a highlight, in part probably because it was that classic-sounding daft punk sound that people were expecting. The rest of this was a bit of a departure for them, but this wasn't as much so, and uh, it was the third single. It didn't blow up here quite like Get Lucky did, but it's a really cool song in its own right. I really enjoyed this. I do think it's a bit redundant, but I can forgive that. Yeah, and in a dance sense too, that redundancy is is super critically needed in my opinion because yes. then you can just take it and do whatever you want, you know? Yeah. It's not meant to be deep, folks. <laughs> <laughs> but you are right about that send-off because we get quite a send-off with this final track, Contact. And... Uh, I could kind of tell from the title that this was going to be a sci-fi kind of thing, and it totally is. It contains an excerpt from the Apollo 17 mission. It begins with that, which is awesome, and this is the only song that contains a sample on the album. It samples We Ride Tonight by the Shrebs, and this one was co-produced by DJ Falcon, and this is awesome, I think. The sounds at the end of the song blew out the stereo speakers when it was played at first, according to DJ Falcon. Oh, I thought you were saying on yours because I was like, yeah, yeah man, the, the, this one loud is In insane. the studio. <laughs> but no, this is, uh, oh, this is epic. It is mostly instrumental, but I just, I love when we go space age, sci-fi and music. I think that's just, a really cool recipe and uh, I just love the way this builds and builds and uh, definitely one of the best album closers uh, we've come across on this show by far oh yeah what a way to end an album what a way my my exact notes I'm not even gonna embellish anything this is exactly what I wrote ride into the sunset as only the robot boys can do because that's what we're doing right here this encore swell at the end of a beautiful album is is literally the the culmination of this whole entire thing super powerful and super uplifting and it leaves me wanting more every single time i don't care how many times i've listened to this album you get to the end of contact or i get to the end of contact and I either turn on a live, I start this back over, I put homework on. Like, again, I'm a Daft Punk junkie, but this is this, this is the way this is the way you end an album um, from a musical and composition standpoint. My boys riding off. We didn't even know. There's there's so many thoughts going through this again from a critical standpoint and and reading and then knowing what we know now. Like this literally was the end. I don't know if they knew it. Again, the beauty of them, the beauty of the enigma that is Daft Punk. Yes. Yes, indeed. And uh, 
here we are at the end of it all. Yeah, man. Quite a journey. I think I know what you'll say, but what is your grade for the album? I'm going to give two different grades on this. Okay. Because I feel like as a random listener, as just a you found this album on the side of the street, don't know what it's about. I feel like it could come across as maybe like a lower end B album because it's has a concept in mind. I would hope that the beauty of this album shines through. That being said, I don't know why I felt that I need to say that, but I, I, I can understand where people don't get this. Maybe it's that I've done this dance with Daft Punk for so long where there's always people that just really don't understand where they're coming from. So maybe that's why I felt compelled to give that. But by far, this is an A in my book. Um, as a musician, as a lover of music, as a lover of Daft Punk put aside, as a lover of music and a musician and someone who is always looking for the bar to be pushed and to see how far it can be pushed with the, the success on the back end of it, I think this album stands with just a few throughout time as far as an achievement of art and music on, on the highest level. All right. Wow. <laughs> uh, it's funny that you say as a random listener, the grade you would have given it, because that was initially going to be my grade, the B minus, but you convinced me to bump it up to a B because I do uh, agree that this is a true, fully realized concept. And I have a lot of respect for that, even though I don't love every song on it. The songs that I enjoy, I enjoyed a lot, but there's some stuff here that's not quite my cup of tea. And I am not a Daft Punk follower. I wasn't, frankly, never was. But this was a really cool one to listen to, I think. So I'm glad to hear you say that. I This wasn't necessarily a challenge one for, for you know, how sometimes we, we, we like to challenge each other. This one was immediately when we were doing 2010, I was like, let's do Random Access. And then I was like, all right, let's do it. And then when I went into the critical listen, I immediately thought of you and I was like, man, this is a very, it's not what everybody expects. So I, I hope that he, he I, I, I was pretty sure you would enjoy it throughout, but I just, I know that you dislike Dark Side of the Moon, just the way it's structured. <laughs> and, and, and I knew that that was one of the inspirations for this album. Uh, something we didn't touch on. I don't know if you, you, saw it throughout i did notes, see that but, but didn't they also say rumors was an yeah, inspiration that's what, that's what and, i was gonna say like they, they were talking about fleetwood mac a lot going into this and um, i am a mac fan if i haven't made that clear yeah so i i'm, just I'm sick I, of rumors rumors is overplayed but yeah. <laughs> no i'm just glad to hear that you had a good time going through it what was your favorite song on this album lose yourself to dance oh man it, it lose yourself to dance and doing it right have been having a fist fight oh. on my paper the whole entire time going through this. And I, I say sorry to my Baltimore boys, but lose yourself to dance is a masterpiece. Yes. It really yes, is. it is. And I know you're Baltimore boys, but you just can't compete with Pharrell and Niall Rogers. Sorry, but no, no, and, not and, many can. Yeah, no. And yeah. I got, you know, I go back to that Daft Punk chromatic, like, uh, it, that one, masterpiece. Masterpiece. 
Oh, good. We both agreed on the best song on the album. I had a feeling <laughs> yeah. we would. I'm really glad we did, because what a great song. But, oh, now yeah, we've done it. Random Access Memories. And uh, now we teased this a bit ago, but we're finally going to actually do it. We did have some uh, false... Uh, we had some bumps in the road to get here due to sicknesses and scheduling conflicts and all of that, but... It's finally going to happen, our first ever two-part episode. There we go. And interestingly, three of the four albums that we'll be doing this month are all from the same year. Really? <laughs> yeah, because both of these are 2013. So we will be doing parts one and two of Justin Timberlake's 2013 comeback album, The 2020 Experience. Uh, a nostalgic favorite for both of us. This was one that we both were in agreement on, like, yes, let's do it. Because this is one that we both have a lot of fondness for, I know. And uh, the even more fun part of it is that one of our pals will be joining us and guesting to add his insight to it. So, yeah, man. It's going to happen. Here we go. Yes. <laughs> finally. It's finally. We don't have much of a choice at this point. That's it. Back to the wall. <laughs> Nobody can get anything. We're coming to your house. No, no. But yeah, it's coming around. Thank gosh. It's finally. I've been anxiously awaiting to do it because I've just been ready to do it. And I'm excited to go into it because, uh, again, what a banger of an album. But we don't want to spoil it too much. So in the meantime, keep your eyes and ears peeled for our next episodes and in the meantime just follow us wherever you're listening to us and on social media at turntables and tea podcast leave us a nice review tell your friends about us and just keep on streaming so we can keep doing it and uh, just keep re reaching all of our beautiful listeners out there amen so in the meantime get your suit and tie ready for the two-part episode. Peace!